Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Archive. This is episode number four. In episode number four, we're going to be watching UFC 4. You probably guessed it. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, not only is this another tournament we got to look forward to, but it's the first one where there's actually two previous winners in the tournament. So big chance for them to face off and get to see really who's the superior champion. So I'm, I'm excited for this one. This was one of the cards that while I was watching, I was actually pretty, pretty surprised by the level of some of the finishes, especially. So let's get right into it, man. I know this one is a little bit of a longer card too. So got to jump right into it. So this was UFC 4 Revenge of the Warriors. Now, the name of this one comes from the fact that obviously Hoist Gracie was actually forced out of the competition in the third tournament where he wasn't able to finish and eventually Steve Jenham ended up becoming the champion. So now both Steve Jenham and Hoist Gracie are in the tournament. Uh, they're not facing each other in the first round, but yes, that is the reason why the event is named as such. It's time for both of these guys to really show, you know, who the true champion is. And obviously there's a whole bunch of the six other guys vying for that same spot. So um, exciting stuff, man. Exciting stuff. Uh, this one actually took place on December 16th, 1994. This is only two months removed um, uh, from the previous event, which was, well, three months really from September 9th. Um, this one took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Expo Center Pavilion. Um, I looked up this location and actually it's still running strong. They do a lot of events there, whether it's concerts or even bull riding stuff so you know you gotta you gotta get the people going however you could get them going and on this night it was it was a little face punch in action you know um so let's get right to it just the particulars again you got um two new announcers on this one you have um bruce beck uh the old faithful jim brown and then jeff blatnick uh which i felt really definitely added a different dimension to the commentary i think they were both experienced and knew what they were looking out for especially when it came to the grappling and sort of understanding the dominance of grappling in a tournament like this um so I'll, let's get right into it man the first alternate bout of the night um once again i try to keep it in the order in which these uh, these fights actually went off so first one was between joe the ghetto man charles and kevin rosier you might remember that name as kevin rosier actually competed in ufc one and made it pretty far i believe he got to, he got to the semifinals. so a familiar name there definitely and um <clears throat> it was interesting to see he came with a brand new look he lost 20 pounds in the lead up to this event and literally looked like a brand new man. Like I said, um, cut his cut off his mullet, uh, was ready to go. Uh, Joe Charles actually came out in an Egyptian uh, costume, which I was kind of taken aback by. It was just pretty random compared to how everybody else was walking out. Um, but this one was a, a scrap, man. I mean, immediately you could see both guys came out willing and eager to throw on the feet um joe came out in the softball stance rosier was actually an orthodox and literally as soon as right out the shoot man um he ended up landing a, a lead right hand that's definitely dropped uh rosier had him really hurt um i was really surprised by this combination because it was a lead right hand and then he slipped his his return and then landed a left hook um 
that really put Rozier down. Um, just a really good sequence and obviously high level in the way that you're seeing him react in real time to what his opponent was giving him. Um, really good shot selection there and put him down immediately um, and jumped right on him. Kevin was trying to get to his side to try to get up. And as he did that, he sort of left his arm exposed and in trying to once again push off of Joe. So Joe took full advantage, just grabbed the arm, stepped over and finished the arm bar. Um, what can you say about this one? I mean, once again, we coming out the gates hot, my brother, real hot. Um, I, I was surprised, obviously, a 14-second armbar. You see that um, written out, and you're like, oh, how the hell did that happen? Like, it's just, obviously, Ronda Rousey had a 14-second armbar, and it looked nothing like this, honestly. Um, <laughs> she got went straight to the grappling and took her down and then went for it. This one was like, obviously, you had everything. <laughs> got, got Knocked them out, submitted them after, the, the good old club and sub. That's what we like to call it where you just knock them down, have them dazed, and go straight for the submission. So really slick stuff, really cool to see this, not only in, in this bout, but in an alternate bout. You know, these guys aren't even in the tournament, and you can see already just the level sort of increasing as people continue to look at these shows and really understand what it takes to fight in the UFC. So cool stuff, man. Next up, we had Marcus Bossett. Coming up against Eldo Diaz Xavier. This is the first man who is actually a Brazilian besides Hoyce Gracie to compete in the UFC. Um, I'm really sad about this one. I know what happens, and I'm going to tell you guys. Uh, Marcus Bassett wins via TKO at 4 minutes and 55 seconds. But for the first time in the MMA archive history, this, this is a fight that I could not find. Um, if any of you guys are able to find this, please reach out to me. I was searching everywhere. I searched YouTube, Google. Um, literally could not find this for nothing. I was able to find all the other alternate bouts, which neither of them were on the UFC fight pass. But for some reason, I was able to find every single one of them except for this one. So literally didn't see this fight. Breaks me up that I couldn't. And obviously, I couldn't get that analysis to you guys. But um, Marcus Bissett moves on. So now in the third bout of the night, you got your first quarterfinal bout of the tournament. We have... The returning OG Hoist Gracie coming up against Ron Van Cleef. Now, Ron Van Cleef is actually a, a semi sort of known name. Um, he's been in some, some, uh, some movies and just a tale of the tape doesn't lie, man. Ron Van Cleef came in 5'10, 190, jacked. Let, let's be honest, he, he was one of the better built fighters in the entire tournament and what's surprising about that is he's actually 51 years old um he's the oldest person to co to compete in the tournament and literally i was stunned i was stunned by a his shape how how well he looked for his age um but also just uh, the gumption you know my man's was out here ready to win it all and didn't care to put himself on the line in that way um you got to respect it and the fact that he got the luck of the draw, Hoyce Gracie in the first round was definitely tough for him. Um, claimed to have multiple black belts in many different martial arts. Um, but this one, this one wasn't close, man. Let, let's be real. Let's be real. Um, Hoyce did his thing always, you know, the Gracie stomp, keeping guys out on the outside. And eventually, um, Ron Van Cleef actually went for a kick. And Hoyce was able to grab that and take him down immediately from that. And 
went straight to side control and you could see he he really stood in that position for a very long time before trying to move forward because he really wanted to get Ron Van Cleef to try to try to try to give him some opposition try to try to get his way out of that position um this is called cooking people in Brazilian jiu-jitsu they used to say it all the time back in Marcelo's you want to once you get a position of dominance especially like that whether you're in side control um even in um half guard honestly on top if you're in half half guard on top um you could do the same thing where basically you're holding over the head with your with your arms and you're not let's call it what it is you're stalling a little you're you're holding on to them making them work to push you off to push you away from you to get some room so that they could get more comfortable get some room to breathe and in in the same same way it gives you a little bit of time to recover yourself you know so you're in a good position, your opponent is the one panicking, and you're able to relax a little bit in that position. So Hoist was able to cook him from side control for a little bit. Um, Ron Van Cleef doing something interesting, which is actually funny. You actually saw this in the McGregor versus Khabib fight. Um, once again, don't even get me started on how cheating doesn't count in MMA, but um, RBC was actually landing some knees from bottom where he would wait until Hoist was in a certain spot and then just throw that knee up slick and try to hit him in the head. And there was a couple of times where he did hit Hoist in the side of the head with the knee from bottom position, which is just very rare, especially bottom side control. I mean, that's that's a position where you're not really doing much um, and you're just trying to work to get out or work to get a better position. My man's just throwing knees. He, he don't care. He's trying, to, he's trying to find his spot. Uh, give me one second. Let me just turn this off for you guys. So you don't have anything ringing in your ears. But um, just in, interesting, innovative stuff. Obviously, at the time, this was all legal. So you do what you got to do. And at the same time, Hoist, after ca catching a couple of those knees, he was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting a little grimy, too. Um, he actually postured his way after making it to full mount and then just started landing 12 to 6 elbows to the collarbone of um, Ron Van Cleef, which obviously is illegal today. You can't throw elbows at that arc. Um, which I find very dumb. Um, the only loss on John Jones' record is because of that rule, and I find it so silly because, the, if anything, that angle of elbow is less devastating than a slashing elbow uh, that can, A, cause damage, and, B, is just a much stronger impact. Just try it yourself. Um, with a water bottle is a great way to do it. Whenever I have, this may sound silly, but whenever I have like a frozen water bottle, I use my elbow to crack the ice. I don't use, I don't just try to punch it or squeeze it. I use my elbow. And when you put it across this way, it, it doesn't hurt your elbow even as much. Like you're, you're, you're bringing it down. You're, you have that torque. Um, when you're going like this, like it is so hard to get a good leverage, but B, it hurts you as well when you're throwing it that way. So it's a detrimental technique and yet it's illegal which doesn't make any sense but um those elbows seem to work as um it caused rvc to eventually give up his back and you know hoist once he gets on your back he pretty much done so um finished it up with the rear naked choke at exactly <clears throat> three minutes and 50 seconds obviously these are still no time limit fights so no rounds just straight three minutes cooked him for a while on top eventually made his way into mount and then forced the back got the choke what can you say another clinical performance for hoist gracie um and obviously 
just taking a second to realize what this guy is doing, you know, like every, every time he comes out there and competes that everyone knows what he wants to do and through small adjustments and just knowing where to place himself, he really puts himself in a position to do that anyway, even though they know what's coming and they're trying to stop it. They just can't um, send a Marvel at man, this guy, especially when I'm watching his back, this guy's special. Um, there's a lot of times where he does very small things just to, just to change the angle or just to get the opponent to react so that he could then attack something else. So just very technical stuff. Really fun watching Hoist Gracie's fights back. Next up, we had, this one is interesting. So we had a returning fighter from the last event who was forced out via injury. Keith Hackney is back. The guy that infamously knocked out the huge sumo wrestler in um, Emmanuel Yarborough in the last event is now coming back to fight Joe San. Joe San, the story on this man, is he was actually a coach and in the corner of um, Kimo Leopoldo, which was the man who forced Hoyce Gracie out of the tournament as well. Um, so interesting to see him there for that reason, but also I'm just gonna say it now because you gotta get it out of the way. Fuck Joe San, um, just an absolute deplorable human being. I know it's probably not what you're expecting, but usually I come on here to give these guys the glory. And this is one case where I'm just saying, fuck that guy. He's a piece of shit. Feel free to look up um, the, the felony charges on his record, but there are many. And he is literally a murderer and a rapist. So uh, fuck this guy, because I found it hilarious that I knew all these things coming into the bout about him and just what a piece of shit he is because i saw the headlines come out as they did but he's literally there coming out doing the whole bit that chemo did where he's walking out with the cross you know bearing the cross on the way to the cage which i don't understand how that helps you um and he's literally saying you're gonna see the spirit of the lord jesus christ in this fight um once once again please Please separate your religion and cage fighting, man. It does not. <laughs> I always find it so weird when someone just literally took the consciousness of someone else and then they're on the mic talking about, I just want to thank God, you know, for picking me in this one. You know, God allowed me to knock out my opponent. It's so silly, man. You hate to see it. And the fact that it's this guy, um, that that's one L for the Jesus Christ people out there. I mean, Joe Song was Joe Song was repping Big Daddy Jesus, and now look look where he's at. But just anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my opinions out of this because the fight makes it even better. I mean, and who who would have thought I could get even more justice than I'm already wishing for? I mean, Hackney did it all for us. So this is how this one went down. It was. <clears throat> basically Hackney started the fight on the outside, literally landed two calf kicks, which I found so interesting because obviously that is a huge part of the meta today, um, the meta game in MMA. And the fact that he led with two of them just had me like, oh, look, look at that, you know? Um, makes sense how we got here. Um, but after landing those two shots, you could see Joe Son was very tentative and not really doing much, just sort of standing still. I call it standing, um, I've heard it called, I heard it been called standing, like staring at the mirror where you're just sort of watching your opponent and you're not doing anything, but they're not doing anything. So you're just kind of waiting. Um, 
but Hackney ended up rushing in, and then that was his downfall. Was he ended up getting taken down by Joe San, and um, Joe San started to attack the front choke from the sprawl position. It was a really interesting moment in this fight. Sprawl position is basically when someone shoots in for a takedown, and then you see them drop their hips. So now their their opponent's head is sort of underneath their torso, um, and he's attacking the guillotine from there. And there was a part where um, Hackney was there, obviously giving him some resistance because in that position, you want to make sure that obviously you're not being pushed over and then your opponent ends up on top. So Joe San was trying to do exactly that. And he ended up just pushing Hackney back, which I found so crazy. Um, I guess the cage, I mean, the, the cage, the mat on the floor was definitely like slippery or I mean, it's still slippery today, but I was surprised to see how how slippery it was because Josan literally pushed him back, and you could see <laughs> both of them just sliding on the floor, like by the <laughs> from the way Josan was pushing them until they literally all went ended up all the way back against the fence, um, which was just wild to me that that he was able to do that. And usually, obviously, you'll have enough friction that both of you guys will fall back, but no literally in sprawl position, just gliding across the mat until they got to the fence. I found that funny. Um, but when they when they stood up, Hackney still ha uh, was stuck in a sort of a standing guillotine that Joe Song was trying to get on him. Obviously, there was a big height disparity in this one. I forgot to mention Joe Song's 5'4", 236, while Keith Hackney's 5'11", 200 pounds, so just a huge size disparity. So it's always weird whenever you see someone, I mean, you don't really see size differences like that in the UFC today, but to see someone smaller have someone in a standing guillotine that's larger than them is just a very weird picture. Um, but Hackney was able to eventually use that momentum from obviously being pushed up to sort of hit the cage and then end up on top control which I found very cool. You know, he used that momentum. You see that a lot today where apparently there's some give to the cage. So you'll you'll be getting pushed up against the cage by your opponent. And as soon as your back hits and you sort of impact the cage, you'll you'll bounce right back off of that and try to capitalize on that momentum. And he, he was able to do that exactly. Ending up on top inside control. And obviously, Joson's still trying to attack that guillotine. In today's MMA, this is known as the Von Plue, sorry, Von Plue, Von Prue choke, um, which the reason why is because it originally was called the Von Flu, and our boy Ovin St. Prue just made it his thing in MMA. No, nobody else, to my knowledge, has hit more than one, and I believe in the UFC alone, um, Ovin St. Prue was able to land three Von Flu chokes. Um, which is basically just a reversal to the guillotine where you're in half you're in half or inside control and your opponent is still holding on to that guillotine but because of that you're able to trap their arm with your head sort of as you would in a rear naked choke you know you're grabbing the choke and then you want to trap your own arm behind your head so that your opponent so you see let's say you have someone in a choke your opponent can't grab this arm if your arm is tucked under your head. So they're going to try to relieve the pressure from the choke by pulling this arm away so that you're, you don't have anything to, to choke them with. But if you're able to wrap your head, now they can't pull that arm out. And that same thing is what they do from that position where they use your arm against you. So now you're stuck. You can't even really let go of the guillotine 
and now they're attacking the choke on of their own um obviously hackney didn't go for that choke but that's just sort of the position that they were in as hackney moved into side control so man this is the cosmic justice that we all deserve obviously at this time everything was legal including eye gouges as well as low blows so hackney took advantage from being in this great position literally landed nine punches just straight to the meat straight to the man meat on the ground obviously this is cringe to see i will admit like i don't i don't i don't want to see this there, there's there's some times where i'm watching these things and i see certain things that are being done for example we'll talk about it later when people grab the cage and sort of use it as leverage to stay on top i find that very innovative and very cool um, and things that could potentially, you know, change the way that the sport is. But um, when I see things like this, like people just hitting each other in the nuts, man, it, it is not good. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what we need. Um, and not something that I think people would like to see in MMA fights on the regular. So it was awkward, but well-deserved, Joe-san. You deserved all the, every single shot to those nuts. Um, and literally... While in that position, I'm pretty sure it was more from the nut shots, but at the same time of landing nut shots, um, <clears throat> Hackney was literally hold, posting with his left hand on Joson's neck and literally ended up finishing the choke from there. I, I've never actually seen that. Um, I've seen a forearm choke in the UFC. Shout out my boy Alexander Romanov. Um, that was really crazy, which is basically where you're on top and you literally driving just your forearm, it's not a choke because it's one hand, into your opponent's neck from on top position, and then you're able to get the submission that way. Um, I've only seen that once, and this wasn't even that. This was just with the hand um, posted on the neck. And obviously, like, I would encourage anybody at home, you know, if you have someone and you're against the floor, I don't know. This is going to be weird if you just walk up to somebody and you're like, hey, put your hand on my neck, choke me in while I'm on the floor. But I encourage anybody to do it. If you're in that position and you're you're bucking around and you're moving like that is so hard to hold that position and hold your balance, especially you hold your balance when you're on the floor and using that post to keep yourself up. Um, so that was just so weird, man. I don't think I'll ever see that choke work again. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just residual damage from those nut shots. Well-deserved nut shots at that. So F you, Josan. Let's go, Keith Hackney. You're moving on in the tournament. So the finish for that one came at two minutes and 44 seconds. It was ruled uh, a choke, obviously. So it's a submission. And once again, all I have in my notes is fuck Josan. So we'll move on with that. <laughs> Give me one second, you guys. All right, you guys, we are back and on to the next fight, which is the third semi-quarterfinal uh, bout of the night, which took place between <clears throat> Steve Jenham and Melton Bowen. So this one, this one I was really looking forward to. Obviously, coming into this one, this is the guy who ended up by serendipity, call it what you want. By hook or by crook, he became the UFC champion, regardless of if it was on short notice or not. As a replacement fighter, um, he did his thing. So I was looking forward to this one to say, you know, this might be the guy. You know, this might be the guy to give Hoist Gracie some problems. Um, and 
he did not disappoint in this one. Let's just say, um, once again, this is the second time in two events where Steve Jenham is facing a big size disparity. Um, this one was apparent. Melton Bowen is six foot, 225. Steve Jenham is listed at 5'11". From the, them standing next to each other, he looked like he was 5'7 next to this dude. Um, he says he's 215 as well, which I found pretty interesting because he looks much, much svelter than that. Um, but you was able to see sort of the side-on karate stance for Steve Jenham while Melton is an orthodox boxer. I found this really cool, just a cool little tidbit. This is the first time that I saw anyone, anyone using what, what I would consider modern MMA gloves. So he had the regular padding around the, the, the fist, obviously, but it had the grooves for the fingers so that you can grapple and you could have effective grappling in that way. I mean, it's standard now, mandated. You see it all the time. So it was just really cool to see, you know, that's the first guy that adopted anything similar to what we call MMA gloves now, which I find interesting because he wanted a punch. Uh, it was clear. I believe he had some boxing experience. Um, so really cool to see that. Just obviously the clash of styles, you know, on the feet, karate stance versus a bladed orthodox boxer is just two different worlds of striking. And obviously now we're going to find out who's better. Um, so Melton threw a big left hook um, that Jenna was able to duck under smoothly. And you could tell he didn't want no parts of that stand-up, man. I don't, I don't blame him. Mel Melton looks like a, a imposing figure for sure. I mean, to say the least. So um, initially Melton did a good job of defending the, the shot, but eventually Jenna was able to get him to the fence. And now this is what I found so cool about this fight. As soon as he got him to the fence, he did something that you've been seeing a lot of in MMA. Guys like Khabib, guys like um, Islam Mahachev, they do a very good job. And once, you, once they have somebody against the fence, they're pinning you against the fence, and then they're immediately going for an outside trip. And that's exactly what Steve Jenham did. You know, As soon as he got Melton's back to the fence, he hooked him, held him there for a second, and then put that outside leg you know, on the outside of the opponent and just drive both of your body weights towards that leg now, and you have no choice but to fall. So Melton did a good job defending until, until he hooked that leg um, and literally ended up almost straight in mount, um, which, which was really cool. Obviously, nowadays, you don't see that. There's a little bit more knowledge as far as guard retention, keeping um, half guard and preferring half, et cetera. But man, went straight into Mount and just started last landing some nasty ground and pound. Um, I found it so cool because there was a couple parts where they ended up right up flush against the fence. And you could see Steve Jenham literally putting his hand through the cage um, while on top. Obviously, his opponent's head is close to the fence, putting his hand through the cage to keep <clears throat> his opponent right there. And obviously, this is illegal as hell today. I mean, everyone does it anyway, but it's illegal as hell. And usually, as soon as you see someone grabbing at the fence, the ref will give them a warning, and they're slapping away at the hand like, hey, what are you doing? Um, this one, obviously, they, they don't care. There's no rules in this one. So it was just really wild to see how much that affects the fight because you could see there was some times where Melton was moving and trying to, trying to get trying to advance his position so that he's not in the, such a bad spot. Um, but Jenna wasn't having none of it. Obviously he had him against 
literally holding that cage as a fulcrum, you, you're not going to be able to um, really defend that. Like, there's no way to defend that. Once you're stuck in that position, you just got to move. You got to get them out um, so that you're away from the fence because now they're using the fence against you, um, which is counterintuitive today. Uh, a lot of people, when being taken down, they go straight to the fence so that, um, you know, they, they have something to put their back against and start building up a base and start working their way back to their feet. But this was the era where if you got your head up against the fence, you were getting pounded, brother. You, that's not where you want to be whatsoever in this era of the UFC. And I found this super cool too. Once again, this was a, this was a fun fight, a one-sided fight. Yes, but it was a fun fight. And this is where we got some parody. Um, Melton started holding Jenham's hands. Obviously, you're on bottom, your opponent's in full mount, you're on the bottom. It's not really much you could do, so why not try to stall? And he grabbed both of Jenham's wrists, and literally Jenham did not give a shit, man. He's like, you're going to grab my wrist? Literally, as soon as his, his wrists were grabbed, went, whipped his head back and just threw a nasty headbutt. Obviously, you're in full mount. Your opponent has nowhere to go. Their head is bouncing off the canvas every time you hit it. And that was the that was the hardest shot in this fight. I mean, you you hear it, and that shit is loud. And I'm glad once again that these things aren't allowed now, because I'm sure that did some damage to to Jenham as well. I'm sure um, because that that was a that was a hard blow. Um, but I, after that, you see he bucked to get out of the way, and Melton. I don't know how the hell he did this. And once again, this was Derek Lewis esque. If you watch the UFC now, um, who is just known for being just the, one of the most strongest guys, pound for pound, in the UFC. <laughs> and obviously, that, that isn't Melton. But what he did was, from full mount, obviously, your opponent is on top of you in full mount. Melton decided, you know what? I'm just going to stand up. Like, <laughs> I'm tired of this. I'm getting up. Um, and he literally grabbed the fence and was able to turn both Jenum and himself over entirely. Like, let me, let me, let me reiterate that. So you guys understand, like you got someone on top of you pushing down on you with all their weight and you just decide I'm getting up and you turn your entire body weight over. And now you're on top and in, in they have full guard, obviously, but you're you rearrange the entire position. That is nuts. Like that's a that's freakish level strength like that. That's not something you could do twice. Like That's not something that's that you can repeat in a fight, because once you do that, I'm sure it is most very taxing because um, it's just obviously the not not the right way that they teach you to get out of these positions. I mean, just crazy. Cause it doesn't work it, it, with normal people, people like me. I've been in these positions with people that are smaller than me and they're just cooking me, man. Like just that you got to work to get your base, especially against people that know what they're doing. So the fact that he was able to do that when you could see Jenham has some experience with top control, um, just shout out to, to Melton on that one. That was, that was really cool to watch. Um, and as soon as I, after that, you know, he worked did what he had to do to get up. And then he landed a nice sneaky little uppercut as Jenna was trying to push him back against the fence. I thought for a second, you know, he might've had him hurt and I, I was just going, this fight was fun. Even though it was 
it, it was very one-sided. It had that feel um, where any punch that Milton could have landed could have been the one to do the damage to end it. Like, that's how it felt, especially with the urgency that Jenham had for the takedown. Um, so, man, that it was just really fun to see that. Obviously, once he landed, I was like, oh, like, I thought he had him hurt. But no, Jenham just kept soldiering on. Um, and he was eventually able to pin him against the fence. And really cool, man, Ronda Rousey style. He just grabs the head and arm and lands a nice, beautiful judo style head and arm throw um, and lands once again right on, on in top side, side control. And you hear the authority at which they both fell to the mat. Like it was a bad, it was a bad one. Like Melton definitely had some, some wind knocked out of him when they landed. Cause obviously it's just both of your body weights after your body was being suspended in air is being plopped down on the mat. Uh, just a big slam for, for Jenham. And after that, he had nothing for, for, for Jenham. Melton Jenham was able to get straight to full mount from half, I mean, from half, from side control. And then eventually, um, Melton tried to sort of do the old bit. We talked about this, um, I think it was last week, where he, he pushes off to try to give himself some space. And Jenham just takes it full advantage and goes straight, for, straight into an arm bar from that position and ends up finishing it at 447. Um, this was a, this is a barn burner, man. Like, even though it was so one, like there wasn't a moment really that Melton really had success. Like if we're being honest, the, even the uppercut that he landed wasn't, um, wasn't the shot that, that, that he needed to get it done, but there was drama in this one. It, it was fun to watch. And that, that, and that's surprising at this time still, because like I said, these fights tend to be a little one-sided um, just because it feels almost like I know something that you don't. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, but this one had a lot of fun interplay, and I'm sure the size of both men played a factor in that. But came out of this one feeling like, you know, I, I, I might be right about this guy. Like, he, he knows what he's doing on the ground. He has good top control. Like, that's all you could ask for. When you're trying to get somebody to go in there and fight Hoist Gracie, like, that's, that's literally all you could ask for is someone that's willing, you know, <clears throat> willing to grapple and know what they're doing as well as land strikes from that position. So it was just a really good one. Um, let's move on to the next one. Our final quarterfinal bout of the night. Uh, final quarterfinal, fun to say. Uh, we had Anthony Mad Dog Macias versus Dan the Beast Severn. Um, really cool to see Dan Severn make his UFC debut. I don't know why I didn't realize he went back this far. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, that, that's Dan Severn. Um, obviously, just a legend and just really cool to see. Obviously, you know, it all coming together. This is why, um, because this man is special. And that's why um, up to this point, obviously, the, this whole time, I'm like, you know, Steve Jenner might be the guy. But after this one, man, my, my mind was changed. So let, let, let me get right into it. Um, Anthony Macias was actually the hometown favorite. He was from Oklahoma. Um, he didn't lean into the whole wrestling bit. He got mad dog on his underwear. So both of these guys are dressed like pro wrestlers. Dan Severn looks like 
literally the the big show if the big show just wore um tights like he just had the tidy whities obviously they they were both black tidy whities though so i found it hilarious they were like um both men have black trunks dan severn has the mustache <laughs> because literally his mustache is profound and powerful um but this one this one was Listen, man, we started this one and I thought it could have went potentially a certain way because, listen, man, Macias came in with the Thai boxing background and you could see that. Um, he opened the fight with some really good leg kicks to the inside and the outside of Dan Sever's lead leg. Um, you don't see that. I mean, that's something you see in modern MMA. So I was really surprised to see that i mean that's something you see on the regular now but especially at this time like you you'll set you get a couple of leg kicks but like constant leg kicks like that that that's not a thing or multiple at a time like combination leg kicks nah not at all so that it was really cool to see anthony doing that at the start and really sort of attacking the base of dan severin eventually dan just decided like i'm tired of this shit this this hurts <laughs> i'm gonna take you down <laughs> And legit got one of the easiest double legs I've seen. I mean, just dropped down for the shot, immediately was on top, and just was tossing this guy around, man. Like, I didn't expect this at all. He didn't look like he was at an extreme, you know, size disparity. Um, even though the weight was listed very, I forgot to mention this earlier. I got I to gotta remember. I got to stay on my P's and Q's. I got to mention this as soon as I start. So Anthony Macias was labeled 5'10", 190. Um, while Dan Severn was listed 6'2", 260. So there is a weight difference here. Don't get me wrong. But it was surprising just to see how, with what ease he was able to throw him around because although he was a skinnier guy, the, he he didn't look overmatched. He didn't look like he, he was out of his depth as far as size. So I was just surprised to see the strength difference between the two of them. Um, Mad Dog was trying really hard to like stop the takedown and was doing a good job of staying in sort of a sprawl position, but Dan was just driving right through his hips. Like every, every single time Dan, um, I was about to say Matthias, Anthony would try to like land a little cheeky shot here and there while still maintaining position. Um, but eventually Dan literally worked his way to the back and just suplexed him right on his neck. And then he gets up and immediately gets suplexed again. Color me impressed. Like, after seeing this, I was like, holy shit, Dan Severn is real. We got to see him versus Hoist Gracie because everyone I just saw fight, nobody's beating this guy. Like, just from what you see, just dominant in the wrestling department. And eventually, after getting the two suplexes, you could see... <laughs> Anthony Macias is like, what the fuck am I fighting right now? Like, it, it, the tide turned very quickly and um, turned into a savage beating, to be honest. Dan Severn got on top, eventually um, flattened him out on his back. And literally, this is just big brother stuff. Like, you don't, you don't see this at all, at all. Like, in the UFC, anywhere, usually they'll land a couple shots to try to sneak under the neck. No. Um, Dan Severn literally grabs his forearm, puts it right on um, Anthony's forehead and just starts pulling up like, and that's very hard. Like, even what I did just now, like, trust me, like, 
it is not easy if someone's pushing down on your head um, to pull their head up. Like that's not an easy thing to do, um, especially from that position. Like they have all the leverage. You literally are cranking on their neck so hard that it's going against gravity. Like that, that's literally what it is. Um, just old man strength by Dan Severn, literally pull his head up until he's able to slip the forearm under and get the choke. And you could see Anthony Macias, shout out to him, man. He had true grit. He was willing to wait, but as soon as that choke got locked on, he was tapping and I don't blame him. It looked painful as hell. Um, so Dan Severn wins it via rear naked choke at 145. And I got it right here written down, man. Dan Severn debut was savage in all caps because damn um just like i said completely overpowered him and made it look easy so i'm like man we got to see this like i i now i'm hyped this is like an event we still got um steve gentleman the tournament we still got hoist gracie keith hackney was looking like a beast coming off his wins especially against the giant emmanuel yarborough in the last event Hopefully he's able to stay healthy. Like we just got so much to look forward to here in this in this tournament. So obviously the answers only come once the fights are done. So let's get right into it. Um, our first semifinal bout between Hoist Gracie and Keith Hackney. Um, where do I start with this one? I mean, Keith Hackney coming in 5'11, 200 pounds. Hoist Gracie 6'1, 180. I'm convinced that they were showing Hoist Gracie a little love that's 6'1", because everybody he fights that's over 5'11 looks taller than him, <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure they gave him a little bit of love on that one. Um, they told him to straighten up, young man, when they were doing the, the measurements, but um, Hackney started on started orthodox on the feet, and obviously Hoist loves coming out in southpaw, just standing there, very stiff, um, not really intending to throw punches at all, um, but Early on in this one, it was interesting, man. Hackney was doing a good job of sort of fainting Hoist and getting him to try to bite and try to jump in and shoot for takedowns. And as he did, he was just creating a barrier. Like that's what they that's what they call it today. Just landing shots as the opponent is coming in, so that you're trying to remind them, you know, you once you come into this space, you're gonna get hit, and try to obviously disincentivize them for going from take for takedowns which I found really cool, man. You don't really see, obviously you haven't really seen much of this to this point. Um, people just didn't have an answer for the grappling at all. And in this one, you can see he's thinking of it. He knows it's coming and he's trying to bring it out of his, his opponent so that he could capitalize on it. I found that really cool, man. I think that's underrated and something that obviously is so much a part of the game today. I mean, especially against the striker versus grappler type matchups today, you see this all the time where they're trying to bait that so that they could go for a flying knee or something like that. In this one, it was just counter punches, but still um, advanced stuff for this level of fight, which made me excited because in the beginning of this one, you know, Gracie's having some trouble. He's getting marked up. He got a mark on his, I believe it was the left side of his face. Um, from a punch um, and you see he's not he's not getting these <laughs> takedowns easy and that's how it's been the whole tournament so anytime I mean you could say this a lot with dominant fighters today anytime anyone's having some success against them everyone's like oh my god he's human um, he's not able to get a takedown for once so it, it, it felt like you know we're, we're on the cusp of something crazy happening here 
Um, but eventually Gracie's able to get him pinned up to the fence as always. And um, they ended up in a nice little knee exchange in the clinch where Gracie get hit one to the balls and then started coming up top once, once he heard him to the balls. Uh, actually landed some good high knees to the head of uh, Keith Hackney, which I found really interesting because obviously he's the smaller man, even though he got him pinned against the fence, you know, he's taking advantage and landing those shots. So I respect it. Um, but Gracie eventually was able to get him to lean forward with those knees. Um, and, and that spelled the downfall, you know, um, immediately Hoist pulled the guard and started attacking a triangle. And I thought this was the, honestly, one of the slickest submissions that he got in any tournament. And the reason why, uh, sorry for the spoiler, but, um, I mean, this whole show is literally spoilers, but I mean, it's from 20 years ago. <laughs> Can't complain too hard. You're here. You're here for the spoilers. I'm telling you. Um, but he had him in the danger zone in the triangle, meaning he had the leg over, he had the arm across, which is not where you want it. If you're defending, you want to keep your arm live, which is, they say towards the top of the, uh, of your opponents, you could stack them. Um, but no, he had the arm across already and had him in that danger zone. And instead of attacking the triangle outright, cause he, he didn't have his, both his legs locked yet. He just had the, the top leg over the shoulder um not this way but this way and then um <clears throat> he had the arm over already so now he's just trying to work his leg over so that he could he could lock in the triangle and the way he did that the way he created that opening was holding that arm across so now he's holding that arm with his left hand and just laying his short little right hands whenever you get a chance you know you're holding the arm so you're not going to get punched back. Um, so might as well, you know, might as well throw those shots in there and give your opponent something to think about. And eventually um, Hackney, after getting punched a couple of times, you know, he tried to pull out and you see that all the time when people try to get uncomfortable, they try to pull out quick and that leads them to just being put in a position that they could capitalize on. And while Hoist tried to, um, I'm sorry, while Hackney tried to pull away, you know, that, that's when the hoist is going to attack. And he he let go of the triangle and attacked the arm bar and got it. So this one finished up at exactly <clears throat> five minutes and 32 seconds. Um, once again, I wrote here, just cook them until the perfect opportunity arise. You know, you get them in that position. Don't rush it. Don't Don't take your time. Feel out the position, know when to go, because if you go too soon, you could end up losing that position. And now you got your opponent on top of you landing shots. That's not what you want. So just took his time, did his thing, and then eventually was able to land the armbar. Just beautiful stuff, man. Hoist's armbar is clean. Um, and we've been seeing it a lot re recently in this run and the previous one, where a lot of these guys are trying to create space and he just jumps on that arm. Um, really cool to see, man. Really cool to see. And obviously where he's on another streak heading into the finals. So we got our first finals participant. Keith Hackney is going to be back because this man, like I said, there's some metagame stuff here that you see in him that we're seeing a lot today in, in MMA. So I'm sure he'll be back at some point in another UFC event that we'll get to cover. Um, next up, Marcus Bosay versus or Bossett versus um, Dan Severn. Mar Marcus will say coming in at 
six foot one, 220, Dan Severn, six foot two, 260. Um, obviously, both of them had won a bout already this night. Marcus Bosset being an alternate bout. I know everyone's like, wait, wait, wait. Th this was the fight we didn't get to see. Yeah, I know. So that, that's why it was upsetting for me too, because if I was able to see this one, I would actually have some picture in my head of how this one could play out. But no, I, I don't know how Marcus fights at all. Um, so Jenna was actually forced out from the injury. Uh, he couldn't compete in the in the semifinals. So that's why Balsett was able to come in. From what I understand, there was a coin toss between him and um, <clears throat> Joe Charles, which was the other man who finished um, their alternate bout early. Um, so he won the coin flip. And he gets a shot, man. He gets a shot in the UFC. So really cool. I mean, just that drama. Imagine you're, you already want to fight in the night, but you're not expecting to compete. And now you're here and, you know, you're up. Let's go. Um, just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Obviously not stuff you see today. It's not like people pull out of events and then they're just in the crowd. Like, do you want to fight? Do you want to fight? Like, nah. Um, I'm glad that they did the alternate bouts in this one early on because a gives the fans some more fights to look at but also b you don't have the unfair advantage that steve jenham had of not competing that night um but you're fighting guys that were competing all night so just a really cool just addition the fact that you could see something like this happen um but this one was fun too man i think Severn had that real old school wrestling style and it really left him susceptible to strikes. And you could see that. Um, Marcus came out orthodox. Severn always comes out in Southpaw. So they got those bladed stances. Um, Marcus took advantage of that. Just landing hard body kicks, literally naked body kicks. Like you're not, <laughs> you're not throwing punches and then throwing the kick now. Like you are throwing that kick as hard as you can and just land into the side of the ribs, um, just digging it in there. And I was, I was surprised at how hard those shots landed and how you could tell Dan Severn's like, oh shit, now I'm in the danger zone and we got to go because if he keeps landing these kicks, I'm going to get hurt real bad. Like you could see the urgency, um, which I found very interesting. Um, so you see Marcus keeps attacking those kicks, trying to land them as best as he can. And he eventually gets greedy and throws like a kick combination. So he throws the body kick and then tries to come around with another round kick. And that's eventually when Severn's like, fuck this, I'm getting you down to the ground. Um, tossed him with a nice little trip and ended up in top position. Now, you could see... Marcus was not comfortable on the ground. And when you have someone like that, that's desperate to get up, um, it just creates opportunities for you. And you could see that, man. He, he was trying really hard to get up and make big movements to get up. Um, but that just allowed Dan Severn to slowly creep his way into full mount. And from mount, literally starts attacking the arm triangle, which is when it's, it's a very complex submission. I'm not going to lie. This is one that in my opinion, is not intuitive. This is one that you need to practice in order to understand how to get it and what you need to do to your opponent to get it. And I know this because I'm a big guy, you know what I mean? I end up in triangle, arm triangle positions against people and 
generally if i go scarf hold like if i go to instead of doing an arm triangle a traditional arm triangle if i go to scarf hold i can get away with not having the technique and to finish the arm triangle because i'm so big and i could just put my weight on people's neck and it doesn't feel good and i could eventually work for a tap but against somebody that's good you know that's not going to work and that's why you need to learn how to do the arm triangle the reason why it's such a hard choke is because so how do I explain this without the visual aid? Um, your opponent's underneath you and you have to get your arm, you have to get, you have to trap their arm in between both of yours. And, and what, what I mean by that is your, their arm is on one side of, of where you're trying to choke them. And, and when you get the arm there, it's not a matter of, um, you know, that arm is just going to be there now. And that's just what it is. Um, you got to put your head underneath that arm in order to make the leverage between your choke, which is coming across this way and their, their arm. Cause remember this arm is live. This arm is trying to defend themselves because your arms are going underneath that. Um, so it's a technical move in that way because you can't just lock it up and then start squeezing like you would with a rear naked choke, you got to get your arm, your head under their armpit almost um, in order to have that torque to actually close the arteries of your opponent. So really cool stuff. And just, you could tell that Marcus didn't know what to do um, because as soon as he locked it up, it got extremely tight and he just tapped. And Dan Severin was able to get a quick submission, man, 52 seconds compared to Hoist Gracie's fight which lasted, you know, five minutes and 32 seconds. So, man, we got an interesting finals coming up. I think, you know, Dan Severn, although he uses a lot of gas to get those takedowns, uh, I think he's the fresher fighter coming into the finals. So we got a fight on our hands, man. And I, I was just geeked for this one. Like this more so than any other time in these fights. Obviously, I know Ken Shamrock. I know who Hoist Gracie is at this point from watching events. Um, but that's why I was excited to see that fight in the first place. Um, Patrick Smith versus Hoist Gracie was also one that you got to see develop throughout the night that you were really excited for. And more so than any of those, this Dan Severn versus Hoist Gracie fight, I was looking forward to because man, um, both guys look really stellar coming up in the tournament. So you, you start to wonder, you know, this, this might be the guy, you know, this might be the guy to do it. So um, I'm sure the, the crowd was happy that they had another alternate bout, though, to give the, the competitors some time, but also to give them some time because, you know, you, you, the anticipation must have been real for this final because I felt it at home. And this is 20 years later. Um, and the best part about this alternate bout is this did not, and I repeat, did not disappoint either, man. Um, in my opinion, this is going to be strange for y'all. Um, I thought this was the fight of the night right here, and I'm, I'm going to get to it later, but Jason Fern, Fern, I don't I don't think I'm saying that right. Six foot two, 220, coming up against Guy Mesker, 6'1", 200 pounds. This is a guy you're going to hear a lot from coming up in the future, and also somebody who trains with Dan Severn. So you knew the, the level once you, once you heard that. Um, the battle of the ponytails, both of these guys coming out with ponytails and karate pants, just funny looking as hell. 
Um, but man, this one, as soon as the fight started, I knew it was going to be good because you saw both of them sort of looking at each other and assessing their distance, but fairness switching stances. And you didn't see this at all, like any fight. Um, and if it did, it was by accident in like a grappling exchange or something. But literally he was testing with, with Orthodox and then switching back to Southpaw, testing again to get reactions. Like they, there was levels to the striking on this one. So I was like, oh shit, like, like let, me, let me find out. Let me, let me find out that we had some um, switch stance fighters back in UFC four. Like who would have thought? Um, but I could tell, you know, Mesker was getting a little uncomfortable just watching him sort of switch and probe and really try to gauge reactions out of him. And eventually was just trying to tie him up as fast as he can. You could see the urgency. Um, and eventually they tied up and you could see that Mesker's a grappler. And this is why, um, they're against the fence and usually you see They'll go for the upper body, like they'll try to go lock behind the head, almost like a plumb clinch. And they'll try, they'll, they'll keep their head up now. Mesker was using his head like an arm. Um, and you didn't see this a lot at this point, even the, only from the better guys like Hoist and, and even Dan Severn, you saw it, but um, where he's putting him in against the fence and he's using his head as the third arm, like he's pushing him back with his head. Um, you don't, you didn't see that up to this point. It's very common now in MMA. Um, it's what, it, it's what it's taught. I mean, literally this is a portion of mixed martial arts that is exclusive to mixed martial arts, which is mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts, um, which is cage wrestling, cage grappling. It's different than regular grappling out in space because obviously you're, you're you're shooting a takedown, but you're building off of the fact that you have your opponent off on the fence already. And a great way to do that is, like I said, use your head as a third appendage, push them up against there with your head. Then you're able to free up room for your hands to try to lock up a double leg or to strike even. So that's what um, Guy Mesker did. You know, he sucked his head in in the clinch and just started landing body shots and they were good shots, you know, landing some real good shots. And then eventually made Jason Fern, you know, say, I don't want to be here no more and try to like turn off of the fence. Um, Guy Mesker was able to land some good shots off the clinch break, uh, which is such a meta thing in MMA today too, where if you clinch up for a little bit, you want to make them pay when you exit so that they don't feel comfortable sitting in that clinch when, when they're clinching you now they're thinking about, all right, but as soon as I let him go, he's going to try to hit me. So I got to be ready. Um, and it just gives your opponents an extra to think about. Um, so you see, you know, Mesker's having some success on the feet. They separate. Um, and you could tell guy Mesker wants to take down again. And then immediately, you know, fairness pressuring, and he drops Mesker with the right hand that landed behind the ear. You could see it was sort of a flash, but he wasn't out, like he didn't fall back and like you see his head fall back to the canvas. He was fully awake. It was more of a flash knockdown. He was able to hold himself up as they hit the ground. So that's a good sign that you see that they're not fully out. Obviously they got knocked out to some extent, but not extremely. So um, they ended up in a front headlock position and where Guy Mesger is obviously trying to turn around. He turned around, obviously, from falling down 
and now he's trying to work towards a single leg. Um, so Farron has his head stuffed underneath, and he separates back and throws his leg out. This is something that you don't see today because it's illegal. You can't knee opponents to the head on the ground. Um, so you can't do stuff like this. The only place you see this really is in places like Risen or Pride FC, which is something that we'll be watching real soon. 1997. We're creeping up on 97. Once we hit 97... Uh, then we'll get to start watching other promotions besides the UFC, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but like I said, you don't see this often, but from that front headlock position, Fan just throws that leg back and lands a brutal knee like to the to the head. And you it's right in the brain, like not the brain, sorry, the spinal column. Like you're you're hitting their head this way. Like that, that sucks. Like I even sometimes if you end up in a takedown position and you land that way, you can hurt your own neck. So imagine someone kicking you, like kneeing you in the head like that. I know that hurt. Um, but kept working, kept working like, like the dog he is, took that knee like it was nothing and ended up working his way up to a body lock, um, which is obviously they're back up on their feet. And he's able to, to hold on to um, Farron and then able to pull him down and get a very easy takedown. And I knew um, you can see it sometimes. And, and these guys will never tell you. They'll never tell you, but you can see it. Um, they'll never say, you know, I'm outmatched and it's over. They'll never give up outright on themselves. But you can see as soon as he got that takedown, there was like a, oh, fuck moment for Jason Fern like I was having this success and now you're on top and it feels like there's nothing I can do about it um so Mesker worked his way to full mount and tries to get some payback just starts landing bombs from the top position landing really big shots with both hands not posting which is something I talked about last week as well which with Steve Jenham actually um where he was posting with the hand and then landing shots with one hand no, like Mesker was holding the position with his legs and then working with both hands, picking shots wherever he could get them, turning him into shots. So so he'll he'll direct them to the side a little bit or he'll try to adjust the mount. And then as he like gets into a position where it seems to be static, uh, where it feels like you can get a second to breathe when you're on bottom, he'll just land a shot and then start moving again, which is very tricky, man. I, I've never trained in that way, so I wouldn't know how that feels. But even being on bottom in full mount in jujitsu sucks. Like you, you feel trapped. You, you, their legs are around your body, so that it's preventing you from moving around. So you feel very stuck, very claustrophobic. And add into that every now and then, you you think you're safe, and now you're getting hit as well. Like it, it sucks. It's just a bad time. And eventually, um, <laughs> Guy Mesker is able to just keep landing shots until the corner stopped it. Um, this one ended at exactly <clears throat> two minutes and 13 seconds, but they packed a lot into those two minutes. That's why this one, hands down, I'm going to write it in right now because I didn't even get a chance to write it in. But this one is my fight of the night. Um, write it in. Jason Farron. Is I measure. 
I'm looking forward to seeing these guys again because, like I said, on the smaller side when it comes to competitors, but very technical on the feet, both of them. And um, you could see just the levels on the ground for Guy Mesker. Um, it makes sense that he trains with Dan Severn, and I can't wait to see him in the UFC too. Well, as well, not UFC too. But we are finally here, you guys. We made it. 10th fight of the night, the final fight of the night, the tournament final for the big money. This was an announced $64,000 prize for beating three people's ass in one night. I mean, just nuts. Nowadays, that doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm sure back then that was a huge amount, a significant amount, especially in a sport that is not established. You'll be lucky if you make $300 for a boxing fight at this level of competition. So um, I'm sure they were very excited to get the chance um, to, to fight for that kind of money because um, that, that's life-changing money, man. Let's be real. At that time specifically, not now. But um, I mean, sadly, there's still some fighters that don't get paid that much in one fight, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it. We'll there's there's so much I could talk about as far as how a lot of these undercard fighters are completely treat like treated like shit, um, but we'll get to that at, at another time I'm sure. Um, so we got Hoist Gracie coming up against Dan Severn, obviously just a big size disparity. Hoist Gracie is list, listed as six one, one eighty. Dan Severn is listed at six two, two sixty. Um. I was geeked for this one. Um, literally watching the walkouts, like all hype, trying to see who has an advantage. And I don't know why, at the beginning of this one, it reminded me of how Hoist looked in the chemo fight. Well, after the chemo fight, when he was supposed to fight um, the Canadian fellow, Harold Howard. When he was supposed to fight Harold Howard, um, and he's looking across at Big John, there was sort of a look of like, holy fuck, I'm tired. And it still looked like that for Hoist in this one. So I was like, damn, this is going, this is going to be the one, this is going to be the one right here. So I was pumped to watch this. Like I said earlier, um, they both came out in Southpaw, obviously not really looking to land punches. Let's be real. Um, this fight was historic. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. this fight was historic and the reasons why are not good. This was not a good fight. This was, this was the worst fight. I think up to this point in all tournaments that we have already covered, this one right here was the absolute worst. And <laughs> you'll understand why in a few, but they they start the matchup, obviously both right hand forward, just sort of looking at each other, staring in the mirror, so to speak, just watching each other, trying to see what each other's gonna do. Not even fainting, nothing, just, just sort of standing there, walking around in a, in a semicircle. Um, no punches thrown. Eventually, Severn is able to get a double leg. But you see, um, you know, Hoist wants to be on the ground. So he's not really defending double, takes it and just drops back to his back. And now we're in your world, Mr. Hoist Gracie. And I'm going to be real. There was many times in this fight that I was watching it that I wanted to fast forward because he was just on top. Hoist Gracie was obviously in the guard. And Dan Severn is not really doing much. He's trying to land shots, but trying to maintain position. So he'll land a couple, a couple punches, and then he'll just try to stay on top, stay on top, stay on top. 
and this one was rough, man. This one was rough. This is the longest fight in UFC history up to this point. And man, five minutes in, literally, it feels like nothing has been accomplished. Like by either man, not any big shots landed. And at the 540th mark, um, Dan Severn actually tries to, um, to posture up. And immediately, oof, excuse me, immediately you see Hoist Gracie sort of start to invert underneath him and pull him right back into full guard. So I know Severn, when he did that, he was like, oh, fuck, this guy is not going to let me land shots either. He's going to try to put me in danger and just didn't want to put himself in a position where he could potentially fall or lose that top position. And now you're you're on bottom with the guy like Hoist Gracie on top of you. So it was all about control in this one and just trying to stay on top. And Severn did a good job of that. Let's be real. I mean, he literally grinded them on the mat that they were moving across the mat but but they weren't getting up so there were a lot of times where dan is just pushing into him pushing into him so they're moving position across like there's multiple times where i actually when i finished watching the fight i went back and i sort of skimmed through and you could see that they literally have hit the opposite sides of the fence like they were moving around that entire mat but all on the ground and all in that same position um just just atrocious stuff just as a spectator just horrible to watch like i'm, I'm gonna be real even jujitsu tournaments aren't like this because obviously people know what they're doing a little bit more and they're they're not as afraid to leave, give up position um but i don't blame dan man he didn't want to get submitted i don't blame him you know he's trying to do whatever he can to maintain top and land strikes in a safe position um but man, you know, eventually Dan drove Hoist into the fence and sort of starts landing some shots, some ground and pound that gets Hoist thinking, you know, and at each time you see Hoist just invert and try to um, regather guard. And after 15 minutes, you know, Hoist 15, yeah, you heard that right, 15 minutes. Holy fuck, this was a long one. Um, Hoist finds himself in in that triangle position and trying to get that arm over. And I'm like, holy shit, like, here we go. Uh, once again, he's just going to pull it out of his ass. And what does he do? Um, he puts the leg over, gets the, gets the other leg across. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy's going to do it. Like, I know Dan Severn's a big guy. I'm like, maybe he could, you know, slam him or try to do something like that. And obviously that didn't even occur. <clears throat> that didn't even occur to Dan Severn. He was just trying to remain on top position. I'm sure he has never had any danger when in top in that way. So I, you can see the moment that Dan sort of realizes, oh shit, like I'm in a choke and I'm fucked. <laughs> like you could see it. Like the way he tapped was very delayed and it was, it was so controlled before, obviously he was just trying to control the position where he's calm, you know, he's not frantic. He's not trying to push or pull or try to slam him or try to get out. He's calm because he thinks he's good and he's just not. And they eventually is like, ah, oh, 
fuck. And he taps. And you could see Hoist gets up, mean mugging him and like really like, ah, like amped up. And I love that about Hoist, you know, even though he's a smaller guy. He really, he wants to take something from you. Like he wants you to know that he, I know that sounds silly, but that he beat you. Like he wants you to know I'm that dude. And and I just did that, even though I'm smaller than you and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so um, you see a mean mugging him and Dan Seven just shaking his head like, fuck, man, I messed up. I messed up. Um, obviously, this one was considered their fight of the night, but I disagree thoroughly. This one was horrible to watch. Hoist Gracie finishes via triangle choke at 15 minutes and 49 seconds and wraps up his third championship run. Three-time champion in the UFC. Just crazy stuff. After this one, I was like, I need some water, bro. I need some water because, man, Hoist done did it again. Even when we thought he couldn't, even when it looked like it wasn't looking good, um, he figured out a way, and I respect him for that. Um, not a, not an easy fight, not an easy tournament, and he comes out looking unstoppable like he has been all these other past ones. Um, and it feels good to get that closure too, like to know even though Steve Jenham got removed because of an injury, you sort of feel that feeling that the two best guys were fighting in, in the final in this one, and Hoist ended up reclaiming that title. Um, really makes you feel like if he wasn't forced out via, via injury or dehydration that he would have won that third tournament as well, which is just so impressive, man. So, I mean, winning a couple of fights back to back is, is impressive. Winning at all is impressive. And the fact that you're able to be dominant across multiple days, across multiple events, across multiple opponents, uh, that says a bunch, in my opinion, about the kind of fighter you are. But man, great night of fights. Now we get to do our awards. You already got your fight of the night with Jason Fern and Guy Mesiger. My performance of the night, this one was a little hard to pick. There was a couple of contenders for this one. I was really close to giving this one a hoist. But the reason why I ended up not giving it to hoist is the first fight of the night. Now, you're probably like, what? A 14-second finish? How is this performance of the night? Now, the reason why I feel like it is is because he got the old-school club and sub, which means you crack your opponent, get them dazed, almost out, and then you go straight for a submission that they are not their steps behind at trying to defend. And that, that's what gave me the performance of the night for this one, the fact that Joe Charles was able to literally – hurt him on the feet, and then immediately go for the submission um, and get it against Kevin Rozier was just super impressive, man. Um, he showed all aspects of MMA, which is what I'm looking for in my performance of the night. So got to give it to Joe Charles versus Kevin Rozier. And I forgot to mention this earlier. This is, this is why you stay and, and listen to this entire show because you, you get the truth here. Uh, I just want to say rest in peace to Kevin Rozier. Kevin Rozier passed away, I believe it was 2016 or 2015, um, with a heart attack, which is just tough to tough to hear, man. Um, obviously, these guys are relatively young for the most part. Even the man that was 51 years old, um, which is, sorry, I'm just looking for the name. 
it's a lot of names. Um, Ron Van Cleef, he's still alive and doing well and actually has been competing in master's divisions in BJJ, which I found so inspiring, man. I'm like, this man is still competing to this day in 2021. And he was 51 when he was fighting in 97. So he's a 70 something, 70 plus and still competing in BJJ. That was really cool to read up on. But anyway, rest in peace to Kevin Rozier and on to the next award we go, our knockout of the night. Now this one, I'm going to figure this out live with you guys because there was, there was a couple good ones that, that gave me nice nice vibes in this one. Um, I wish I could have seen Marcus Bosset's knockout, but I can't. Um, a lot of chokes here, be on bar, triangle choke. There's only one knockout, actually. Wow, I didn't even notice that. No doesn't sound right but it is yeah because Keith Hackney technically got that choke it wasn't a it wasn't it was it was the punches to the dick that did it but it wasn't the punches that got the finish according to the record um so yeah the only the only person in um competition is Guy Mesger and I'll just give it to him because like I said man that was a great fight and a great knockout um technical stuff and really modern um and more so than any fight i've seen so far in any of these events i feel like both of these guys knew what they're looking for and were playing games within the fight which you don't really you don't really see even today there's some people that just go out there and just go for broke and throw their shots and you know that they're marauders and they're coming forward um but there isn't that level of thought um you saw that from both of these guys. They they had a strategy and they were thinking through it, um, which was just really cool, like I said. So great performance. Knockout of the night goes to Guy Mesker versus <clears throat> Jason Fern. So now submission of the night. This one has so much competition. Everything except for that Marcus Bassett fight, which I couldn't see, was a, a submission. Who do I give it to? Man, there were some really good ones in this one. I'm not going to lie. And I think the one that I'm going to give it to, because obviously Hoist Gracie is super impressive. Um, the one that I thought visually, visually looked the best um, was, and this, this, this may come as a surprise by some people, um, Steve Jenham against... Mountain Bowen, once again, just a good fun back and forth fight, but the submission itself was a really nice armbar, which once again was a counter where his opponent was trying really hard to post and sort of just make some space for himself, and Steve Jenner wasn't having none of it, man. He was just like, nope, I am going to submit. I'm going to go straight into the armbar position from here and got it. Um, just really cool stuff, obviously. Um and another fight that we got to see the full, you know, array of mixed martial arts from both of these guys, um, which is hard to see nowadays. You'll, you'll be surprised. Even nowadays, sometimes, you know, you end up in certain matchups where they just want to grapple or they just want to strike. And this had everything. And that, that, that really plays a factor, especially when you're able to get a submission in a fight where you look like you were going to get the win by knockout. And then eventually you work to get that submission. It was very technical, the armbar, and really pretty. So that's why I picked it. 
you could definitely make a case for Hoist. You could definitely make a case for even Dan Severn um, with some of his savage <laughs> submissions. Um, but I thought that one was the most surprising as well as a really good transition to, to the armbar from that top position. So we've done it. We made it through a 10 fight card, got through the main events. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for showing up. Um, excuse me. I'm not going to be in the UFC cage every night, but I thought uh, I'll mix it up for you guys today. You know, I'll give you a little something, a little something to laugh at. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the arena while I, while I chat with the, you guys about these fights, but it was a fun one. You guys let's look forward to the next event. It's going to be UFC five. Um, I misspoke on the sideline guys. Shout out my guys, Derek and Dwayne. Um, we're actually going to get to see the matchup between Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie in that one, not in this one, but a great tournament nonetheless. Great night of fights. And once again, Hoist Gracie remains supreme. Just great stuff. Super pumped and really cool just experiencing this, the, the growth of the sport and where, where it was then to how it is now. Just such a big difference, but also you got to give Hoist's respect because even even as times change and as the ease of these things seem impossible, um, he was doing that and he was making it happen. Um, even when it seems like it shouldn't have worked. So shout out to hoist man, got his third title, nothing but respect. Looking forward to talking to you guys again next week. This was a fun one. I hope you guys all have a good one. Peace.